Have you ever been in a post-apocalyptic dystopian society? The answer is no. Everything is fine and perfect and you're okay. Please wait in your home and our Joy Compliance team will visit you shortly to correct any and all errant thoughts. Brought to you by the wonderful and caring government. Hello and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 47, Kiwis, a fruit, a people, a bird. Now before we begin today's show, I must apologise if I am sounding a little bit nasal. It's because I have a cold. Don't worry though, I will cut out the sniffs. And that was a cat. Raven. Hey. Now, on today's show, we are going to be looking at the kiwi, the national bird of New Zealand. The kiwi is so emblematic of this island nation that the people who call New Zealand home are even known as kiwis. That's like calling an Australian a kangaroo, or a koala, and that's just silly. But, as far as the kiwi goes, they are one of the least bird-like birds getting around. They almost look more like a rodent than a bird. They're flightless, almost totally wingless. Their feathers have changed to be more like brown fur than the sleek, streamlined plumes we're used to. Taken together, they look more like a two-footed rat with a giant probing beak than an actual bird. So it shouldn't surprise you that the kiwi is a fascinating and unusual bird that Evolution really had its way with. And today we are going to find out what their deal is, where did the kiwi come from, where are they going, and how are they getting there? You know, maybe not all those questions make sense, but we'll do our best to answer them regardless. So join me as we figure out the kiwi. Bird of the week. Now, the first thing we need to clear up is what is the deal with kiwi fruit? Those little fuzzy brown fruits kind of look like a kiwi, but is that their only connection? Well. Kiwi fruit is a major export for New Zealand, funnily enough, and was popularised by their nation. But the kiwi fruit is actually native to China, where it is also known as the Chinese gooseberry. So somehow it transitioned from being the berry of a goose to the fruit of a kiwi, one bird to another, so I guess that's alright. Even so, it was never commercially grown in China. It was the kiwis, the people, not the bird, who first started to grow the fruit for commercial consumption in the early years of the 20th century. During World War II, servicemen from the UK and the US who were stationed in New Zealand developed a taste for the fruit. An export market was established in the post-war years, and the fruit has been a mainstay on the international stage ever since. And on the part of the Kiwis, pretty smart move marketing the Kiwi after their famous national symbol, the Kiwi. Okay, that was using kiwi to refer to three different things in one sentence. Points for ridiculousness, but not necessarily for clarity. Anyway, we really aren't here to talk fruit or peoples. We're here to talk birds. And what a bird the kiwi is. The first thing we should acknowledge, because it's an important point, is that the kiwi is not a single species of bird. Or no, there is a whole family of kiwis out there. There are five, in fact. I mean, you know, it isn't a big family, but still, that's more types of kiwi than you were probably expecting. More than I was expecting. But don't worry. 
They all live in New Zealand. Live on New Zealand? You live in a country, but on an island. Your prepositions are weird. Anyway, they all live in slash on New Zealand. And there are two main lineages of kiwi. The spotted kiwis and the brown kiwis. There are two spotted kiwi species, the little spotted and the great spotted. Although, if we wanted to more accurately describe these birds, I would honestly say that they're striped. They look like they have more of a white mottled striping to me, but hey, what do I know? The little spotted kiwi is restricted to living on a collection of small islands around the mainland and a few dedicated reserves. The reason for this? Well, we'll find out about that later. Invasive predators. The great spotted kiwi lives at high elevation, subalpine in the northern parts of the southern island. But as to our brown kiwis, you can tell them apart from the spotted ones because they don't have spots. So that's easy. Until about 20 years ago, they were considered to be a single species. But after genetic testing, enough differences were found between the isolated populations to warrant splitting them into three distinct species. So we have a northern and southern brown kiwi that live on each of the northern and southern islands respectively. And finally, there is the Ocarito kiwi that lives only in the Ocarito forest on the southern island. As to their broad description, the kiwis look remarkably similar, spots aside. They're a brown bird. They stand about as big as a chicken. Between the biggest and smallest species, the northern brown and the little spotted, there is only about 20 centimetres difference in size. From min to max, kiwis range from about 35 to 55 centimetres. As I said, they're about the size of a chicken. Otherwise, the other telltale signs that you're looking at a kiwi include their complete and utter lack of wings and tail, although, to be fair, while you can't see them, they do still have tiny wing nubbins. The underside of their wing is the only place on their body where feathers don't grow, and when they sleep, like other birds, they do tuck their beak under this tiny wing. Speaking of beak, what they lack in wing, they make up for with their ridiculously long beaks that they use to forage in the undergrowth, prodding and probing for bugs and insects. Their feathers have also evolved so that they now look more like fur than feathers. So, you know, they're, they're freaky little fellows. And when it comes to having bird-like qualities, they don't have many. They do lay eggs. So who is the kiwi's kin? Where did these birds spring from on the avian family tree? Well, it may not surprise you, but they belong to the kookiest family out there, the ratites. We have met the ratites before when we spoke about the emu. These are some of the world's biggest birds, and famously flightless. Ostrich, emu, cassowary, rhea, along with the now extinct moa of New Zealand and elephant bird of Madagascar. Although, in a shock twist, it turns out that the kiwi's closest relative is the elephant bird from half a world away, and not the moa, who had lived alongside for millions of years. <laughs> I tell you, evolution is just wacky. But that does raise the question of how exactly the kiwi got to New Zealand in the first place, because I don't know if you've noticed, but Madagascar and New Zealand aren't exactly close to each other. Heck, there are two oceans and a continent in the way. But there are a few theories. One, the kiwi split off from its common ancestor in the ratite family long, long ago before the dinosaurs went extinct and just evolved independently on New Zealand from the get-go. 
The other theory is that at some point in the past, the Kiwis' ancestors were smaller, partridge-like birds that could fly and flew to New Zealand. Both theories have their pros and cons. On the one hand, there is some fossil evidence to suggest that at some point in the past, there was a smaller species of kiwi. But then, when people look at the size of its egg, it suggests that it should have been a larger bird in the past. More on that later. So, has the kiwi expanded, or has the kiwi shrunk? Could it fly, or was it always a walker? The jury is still out on those questions, but one day more evidence may come to light. For now, they still are a little bit of a mystery. But in talking about the kiwi and comparing it to its ratite cousins, you may have noticed something that even among the ratite family of oddball birds, the kiwi still doesn't feel like it quite fits. Like, all the other ratites are exceptionally large, some of the largest birds that have ever lived. While by comparison, the kiwi is positively pint-sized. As I mentioned, they're only the size of a chicken, while the ostrich is, well, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's the size of an ostrich. Did I say evolution is wacky? I better say it again. Evolution is wacky. So what's the story with our little kiwi? Well, while evolution is indeed wacky, the end result is always there for a good reason. Now, you may remember from our episode on flightless birds that one of the reasons why the ratites could give up flight is because they're gigantic. Flight is, of course, the best way to get away from a threat. Does that fox want to eat you? Try levitating 20 metres in the air. It's gonna have a hard time eating you. Flight gives you that ability. Ratites, though, can't fly. Does that fox want to eat you? Try being two metres tall. It's gonna have a hard time eating you. Their strategy is to be so big and fleet-footed that nothing really threatens them. Kiwis, though, I don't know if I've mentioned this, they're only the size of a chicken, an animal that is decidedly one of the fox's favourite prey. Famously so. So how do they get away with it? Well, let us cast our mind back to our island episode, and we may recall, go back and listen to it again if you don't, that when animals end up on islands, strange things can happen. And on New Zealand, there are two things. One, no mammalian predators, and two, no mammals at all. So, you know, it's, it's really just the one thing. I guess there are no mammals in New Zealand. Carnivore or herbivore. No native mammals, that is. Except for bats. You know, but, but they don't count. Bird wannabes. As we have seen before, when animals end up in odd situations, evolution can push them in unexpected ways. Being isolated on an island with no competition from mammals for resources and no serious predators, it's an odd situation. So we should expect an odd bird. The kiwi is our odd bird, so let's break it down. First, no predators. That means the kiwi was free to shrink. This represents a kind of island dwarfism, a tendency for large animals that find themselves on islands to shrink. Again, go back and listen to our island bird episode if you haven't already. So, one theory was that the kiwi shrunk. May have once been a big bird, comparable to an ostrich or emu or elephant bird. Now, one of the clues we have that the kiwi was once a big bird is their egg. Now, fun fact, 
the kiwi lays the biggest egg as a ratio to its body. Most birds lay an egg that is about 6% their own body weight, which feels, you know, fairly reasonable. But the kiwi's egg, the kiwi's, is generally a good 20% of its body weight. That's like the equivalent of a 16 kilo baby right there. Do you want another indication of how big their eggs are? You know, although the kiwi, don't know if I've mentioned this, about the same size as a chicken, their egg, six times bigger than a chicken's. Now the poor female kiwi, before she lays the egg, has to walk with her legs splayed apart, with the egg taking up so much space, her belly drags on the ground. The kiwi has also been known to sometimes soak its stomach in little pools to help soothe the inflamed, stretched skin and reduce some of the weight burden. It's a tough gig. But what that tells us, if we extrapolate the kiwi up so that its egg actually matches its size, the kiwi should be about as big as a cassowary. So some ornithologists suspect that's about the size they started out as. Now, as sucky as all that sounds, there are advantages to having a big egg. It means that the baby gets a lot of extra yolk to sustain it while it develops, and as a result, the kiwi chicks hatch out quite advanced. They are what we call precocial. They hatch fully feathered, eyes open, able to walk about and look after themselves to a certain extent. The downside is, naturally, the kiwi only lays one egg. And that really shouldn't come as a surprise. The female couldn't fit a second one inside even if she wanted to. So, lack of predators. That's one reason why the kiwi could stay flightless and shrink. The other reason was a lack of competition from more generalist mammals. So, here's the thing. In New Zealand, the kiwi is basically filling the role in the environment that a rodent does. They even kind of look a bit like a giant rat. So the kiwi scurries about on the forest floor, foraging in the undergrowth and leaf litter for bugs and tasty morsels. In other parts of the world, this role is filled by a whole host of different mammals, and it pains me to say this, but honestly, they're a lot better equipped to fill that role than a kooky bird. And that's why, in other parts of the world, we don't see birds filling this role. You know, the position is already taken by skillful rodent-slash-small mammalian creature. The kiwi is just a bird doing its best imitation of a rat. And frankly, it's not a very good one. But in New Zealand, it can get away with it because you don't get these other animals. So there is an opening in the environment. There is a vacuum. And nature abhors a vacuum. When a niche niche opens up, an animal will take advantage of that void and start utilising resources that no one else is. Over time, our old friend Evolution will then kick in, make slight changes to the animal's makeup, so it's more effective at filling that place in the ecosystem. The result is, after millions of years, we end up with a bird that's kinda like a rat. Or, in other words, the kiwi. And evolution has given the kiwi a couple of unique features that other birds don't have to help them in their rodent lifestyle. For example, here's a fun fact, there is a technical argument that you can make to say that the kiwi actually has the shortest beak of any bird. But how is that a thing? Look at the size of the dang beak. It may not be the longest, but like, it is long. They use it to prod and probe the undergrowth. It's a long beak. But the question is how exactly do we define the length that a bird's beak is? Yeah, well, ornithologists actually have a strict definition. 
a bird's beak is defined as being the length from the base of its nostril to the tip of its beak. For most birds, their nostrils are situated on their head, at the base of the beak. But not the kiwi. For the kiwi, their nostrils are actually right at the tip of the beak, at the very end. This is because they have a keen sense of smell, so putting the nostrils way down there helps to guide them towards intriguing scents during their foraging. Their beak is also equipped with extrasensory nerves, making it extra tuned to any slight movement in the undergrowth, letting it know when to snap shut on a bug. It's a handy trick. But because of where their nostrils are situated, if we use the traditional definition, technically the length of their beak is zero. Maybe they just have a really long nose. But the kiwi's sense of smell is so highly developed that they ended up not relying too much on vision. So, strangely for a crepuscular or nocturnal bird, kiwis have quite poor eyesight. In fact, numerous wild kiwis have been found living quite happily who are blind, showing how little they depend on their eyesight at all. They rely not only on smell, but touch and hearing. Like other ratites, the kiwi's feathers have also lost a lot of the structure that give flighted birds their sleek, streamlined appearance. Their feathers lack the little barbs that allow the filaments to cling together neatly. Instead, this gives the kiwi's plumes more of a ragged, unkempt appearance, making them more hair-like. Again, not unlike a rodent. They also have long whisker-like feathers around their face, kind of like a, a you-know-what. It's suspected that these whiskery feathers perform some sort of sensory function, helping the kiwi to detect close-range movement. But you know what else rodents have? Burrows. And you know what kiwis have? Burrows. Favouring nocturnal foraging, the kiwi likes to stay hidden during the day, and what better place to tuck yourself away than in a burrow? Now, the quality of kiwi burrows can vary wildly. They can be anything from a 10 metre long burrow with multiple entrances, or, or exits depending on how you use them, all the way down to just sticking their head in some leaf litter for the night. Kiwis can even have multiple burrows spread out around their territories, so they always have a safe place to retreat to no matter where they happen to be. They dig these burrows or roosts with their strong feet, and we need to specifically call these homes roosts, not nests. As you may recall from our nest episode, birds do not live in their nests. The only function the nest serves, traditionally, is as a place to incubate their eggs. And the kiwi is no different. Even though they build these large, secure roosts all over the place, they don't lay their eggs there. The male will construct a different, usually shorter burrow in which the female will lay her single egg. He will go to quite a bit of effort to camouflage the entrance to these nests. He will drag leaves and sticks over the entranceway, blocking off the opening so to a casual observer there is nothing to be seen. Just like the other members of the ratite family, the kiwi is unusual in the sense that it is the male who takes sole responsibility for incubating and caring for the egg. It's a process that takes some 80 days, of which time he will rarely leave the nest, just getting up every now and again to stretch the old legs. Now, we can't close our conversation on the kiwi without saying something about conservation. It's a conservation conversation. Yeah, try saying that ten times fast. Now, it won't surprise you to hear that the kiwi is an endangered bird. With the exception of the little spotted kiwi, every species is rated as vulnerable, and the little spotted is itself rated as near threatened. So, the kiwi has had a rough ride since people turned up on its island. The usual culprits are behind its decline, 
Habitat lost, forest being converted into agricultural land is one of the biggest problems. And of course, the other is introduced predators. Stoats, weasels, cats, dogs. Although no foxes in New Zealand. Australia introduced foxes, which turned out bad. New Zealand, on the other hand, they introduced stoats, which also turned out to be bad. So the neighbouring countries made bad mistakes, but with different animals. But stoats and cats have been enough to give the kiwi problems. It's estimated that stoats are responsible for about half of all kiwi chick death. You know, until the little guys get a bit bigger, they are vulnerable to stoat attack. But this is part of the reason why the little spotted kiwi only lives on small, more remote islands. They're places that are predator-free, which gives the kiwi half a chance. So that's rather unfortunate. But here's the good news. Holding major national symbolic importance can be a real lifesaver. New Zealanders, they love the Kiwi, and they're serious about making sure their national emblem doesn't go extinct. There are numerous reservations for each individual species set up around the country, and big efforts are also going in to make sure that the wild populations are given the best chance of survival as well. The plan for New Zealand is to see a 2% growth in their population per annum across all the species, with the objective of having 100,000 birds by 2030. It's an admirable objective, and with any luck, it will mean these strange, roly-poly, burrowing, digging, semi-blind, flightless birds will be around for generations to come. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. The kiwi is such a freaky little bird, and I'm really glad I could bring you a little deep dive on what makes them unique. Now, next time I'm going to attempt to bring you a topic that I've wanted to do for a while. Avian taxonomy. Oh, sorry. Taxonomy! It's a subject that I find fascinating, and I'm going to try to give you a little tour of the bird family tree. We'll look at how and when the different bird families arose, and how they're all interrelated to each other. Now, this may not come as a surprise, but the kiwi is one of the most ancient bird lineages out there. Whereas sparrows are one of the most modern. And next time, I'll take you on a tour and we'll build up a scaffolding of just how all the birds are related to each other. Yep, yeah, hopefully it won't be as boring as hell. I'll try to throw in a joke. We'll see. In the meantime, if you want more bird action, I've got some good news. Our bonus podcast called What's Up With That Bird's Name has just come out and this week it is all about the kiwi. Just where do they get their name from? Well, for the low, low price of just $2 a month, you can find out all about it. All you have to do is swing on over to Patreon forward slash Bird of the Week or one word link in the description to find out more. And if you're feeling especially generous and want to make a bigger contribution than you too, you can get a special thank you from me in the show, just like my good friends, Jill Chalker, Jody Little, Debbie Ho, Dar Fuller, and Richard Clark, the Minty Fresh. And as always, if you would like to receive a free bird in your inbox each week, then drop me a line at weekly.bird at outlook.com. I will add you to the mailing list where you'll get a new bird lovingly delivered to you for free each and every week. I mean, hey, who doesn't want more birds in their inbox? At any rate, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me again soon. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. 
So I really don't know how it is that pigeons have the reputation of being rats. Like, look at the kiwi. Brown fur, lives in a burrow, forages in the undergrowth, it even has whiskers, for God's sake. They're easily the most rat-like of all the birds. You, you, you know, I guess being called a rat is a bit of an insult, but, you know, look, rats are survivors. I've been called worse. <laughs>